change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podsquewee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, it's a quick turnaround for us. Not This time of year, you you and I usually don't come with back-to-back episodes and back-to-back weeks, but we have a lot to get into this week. Obviously, the big news that we're, we'll get into regarding the Ticats, there's been big news CFL-wise. But before we get to all that, we're going to begin by showcasing one of the new segments we plan to have sporadically throughout this year, something we are calling Mike Makes Right. This is where Mike will tackle something wrong with the CFL or something he sees wrong with CFL fandom or whatever it may be, something that irks Mike, and he's going to try to fix it. So, Mike, for the initial, uh, you know, kind of voyage here of uh, Mike Makes Right, the floor is yours. What are you making right this week, buddy? I'm making right. I'm giving some improvements for the CFL and TSN, and we all know that they've been lacking um, in the production category for many years. I think early on they had they are motivated to make the product better. And I think they've done a lot of good things for the CFL over the years, but I have a five suggestions that can, you know, spruce up the product. Number one, timeouts, challenges on the screen. I mean, how hard is it to put a couple of dots at the bottom of the screen? This should have been done 20 years ago. Fix your first down line. It jumps all over the field. It's behind <laughs> the line of scrimmage. You never know where it's going to be. Proper player introductions. Just a five-second video of each player introducing themselves and what school they went to. I know it's been said by TSN employees that they've toyed with the idea, but decided it wasn't feasible because of the 20-second play clock. Well, we all know the play clock isn't 20 seconds anymore. It's closer to 40 than 20, so that excuse doesn't fly with me anymore. Figure it out. Stop the in-game interviews. Nobody likes them. Takes the focus off the field. Sometimes they completely stop calling the game. Even at the Hall of Fame game, with all the inductees, feature interviews with them on the pregame or at halftime. Fix the panel. Is there anything worse than people trying to be funny who aren't? Stop with the joking around all the time. Analyze the games. The panel used to be good, but the last couple of seasons I find myself not even watching anymore. All right, so that those are the five, man. I, I don't know if I can disagree with any of you on like the first down thing. I do. I completely agree. So you heard me chuckle. Sometimes it like is perpendicular to the line of scrimmage. It looks ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, that's something I, I don't know why that that gets screwed up. The timeout challenges thing. Absolutely. Like that should not be something that we're still not getting the in-game interviews. I have at, like, does anyone like those? Like, honestly, does anybody like the in-game interviews? I've not seen one single person. When those things come on, you, you go online, you can see people crush mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The Hall of Fame game, like the NFL does their, their Hall of Fame game. They make it a marquee event in the preseason. I know that that's unlikely to happen in the CFL, but you can do the Ticats home game 
as the Hall of Fame Ty Cats, make it a, make it a big deal. Make it something that people want. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they only throw a few uh, preseason games on television anyway, but make the tie cat or whatever game you want. If you want to have it in Saskatchewan, you want to have it in Winnipeg, like whatever, it doesn't have to always be in Hamilton. I understand the hall of fame's in Hamilton. It doesn't necessarily mean the game has to be here, but make it a marquee event of that. Make it the first. Cause you know how there's, there's nine, there's that one game at the start of the preseason. That's kind of earlier. Make that the hall of fame game and have that be. And then, and then if you did sort of the, the player interviews throughout the game, like they do at the NFL hall of fame game, it wouldn't matter. It, because it's by the time you're in, exactly by the time you're in the third quarter, the only people there are the diehards anyway. Who, it's not that big a deal. Um, the panel couldn't agree with you more. It's stale. It's just stale. It's it's it hasn't. When's the last time they did anything remotely interesting? And it doesn't like you mentioned that they're not that funny. And I understand they're trying to go for that like NBA on TNT vibe, but like you know they have with like yeah, Shaq and Barkley. Yeah. But they're not Shaq and Charlie. Like Shaq they're and not. Charlie are funny. They're funny. Like and and, uh, and they're funny by accident. Like I don't yeah. think that they necessarily they're always realize they're funny. They're not mm-hmm. trying to be funny. They're just naturally funny. The one I want to focus on though is the player intros because you mentioned something that's been gnawing at me for a very long time. The whole idea of the 20 second play clock being an excuse. I looked this up because the NFL is a 40 second play clock. The CFL is a 20 second play clock. So when you look at that, you go, oh my god, there must be twice as many plays in a CFL game as an NFL game. Like that's what the math would suggest. Give or take. It's almost the same CFL games average between 150 and 160 plays a game. So do NFL games. So the idea that there's not enough time to do that sort of Monday night, Sunday night football intro where every player comes on and goes, Simone Lawrence, university of Minnesota, or some guys make it, make it funny. Like, I remember years ago, Terrell Suggs would come on to call himself Sizzle, and he was from Ball So Hard University. Like, those are the type of things that showcase the personality of the players. I think not maybe not necessarily attracts new fans, but it gives people a better idea of who these players are. And I think the more people get to know the players, the more apt they are to sort of consume the product a little bit more. And the the guys at TSN, the girls at TSN that make the excuse of 20, it, it just doesn't, it's not true. It's simply not true. You have just as much time between plays whether you want to believe it or not, all of these things are, are such easy fixes for me. And it would, it would freshen up what has become a very stale broadcast, a very stale pregame show. Like it's, it all just feels like 10 years ago. It doesn't, it feels the exact same as it, as it does now. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's like TSN is saying, we're the only ones who are interested in this product. We're not going to put a, a lot of effort into it. So just, you know, deal with it. They don't put effort into it until it gets late in the season, uh, in the playoffs, and the obviously the Grey Cup. I think the Grey Cup they do a great job. They really make it feel like a big deal. But leading up to it, it just doesn't feel like like they're trying, and it's it's unfortunate because these you know we talk about the player introductions. That could be a big thing. Like you know the people watching, maybe they're talking they're talking about the getting a better deal in the United States, right? A better TV deal. Well, if you have those proper player introductions and you know, players are announcing they're from, you know, Arkansas or whatever college in the state. Someone might see that and be like, oh, I remember I remember him. You know, it might just even if it it, it attracts a couple of fans. I mean, I think it's worth it. I agree. And it's it's so crazy to me that the CFL does get some of these these guys that just weren't good enough for the NFL. Like they, they didn't have the measurables or whatever it was. But some of these guys went. I, I, the guy I always think of is Terrence Tolliver played here for the Ticats, went to LSU like. Mm-hmm. There's 
highlight reels of him making touchdown catch. He caught a game winner against someone one time that like he played in major bowl games. Like we've had guys from Alabama, we've had guys from Notre Dame, we've had big name college guys come up here. And you you'd think that they're in witness protection because if you right. promote who they are, promote where they come from, Jeremiah Mazzoli played at the university. Jeremiah Mazzoli played in a Rose Bowl. Like one of the biggest college football games there is every year, he started a Rose Bowl. You'd be hard pressed to know that if you didn't already know that. You know what I mean? It's it's those things where you I think you have to it, it just helped promote the players. Maybe it will get some people like, oh man, I remember watching him play at my favorite college, or oh, I'm a big fan of Wyoming and he went to Wyoming or some Mac school, whatever it is. It's just it's it's crazy to me that the league is desperate for new eyeballs, but does nothing. And I guess, it, you know what? I shouldn't say that. It's not the league. The league doesn't control what TSN does. But mm. TSN just has, they've, like I said earlier, it's just, there's just a sameness to everything they do. And it's felt that way for at least a decade now, if not more. Yeah. They've become extremely lazy with their presentation. Complacent is the, is, is the nicest way to put it, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I could have said something about country music, which is, you know, a problem on there. You know, they're always playing country music. I think they have some sort of deal with, I don't know who, like, a, I don't know what it is, but I've noticed that on TSN, they have a similar, or on the Raptors telecast on TSN, they mm. play, like, hip-hop music. So maybe it's, like, an order from whoever they're getting the music from to be like, okay, you know, the CFL winnipeg saskatchewan alberta yeah. really love country music so let's let's push the country music on this let's push the hip-hop on toronto raptors games so i don't i don't know what the deal is but hearing the same country song over and over and over and over again and with any song really yep. would just drive you absolutely mad and i just think that um, i didn't put it on the list but it was it was close to getting on there yeah repetitive and complacent is the two words i would use for TSN's broadcast of the CFL and you're right maybe it's because there's no competitors that want this product to air on their networks or it's just the idea that I mean TS this the league keeps re-upping with TSN years in advance of these contracts coming up for for what reason like at least if you take it down to the wire maybe you can get some changes made but I I, I don't know it's I I, you, I look at the five things and then the sixth thing you mentioned with the the country music couldn't disagree with any of it. So, uh, Mike, if if the, if if we get one of these things coming up soon, I'll be happy. If we get all five, I'll be astonished. I I, what do you think? Do you think you'll see any of these changes made in the next couple of years? The first one, the timeouts and the challenges on screen. Like I said, how hard is it to do that? To put a couple of dots or bars at the bottom of the screen. It's maddening that we haven't done this already. Like. So if I had to choose one, I'd, I'd say that that would be the one because it just seems like it would it wouldn't cost much at all and it could be easily done. So um, I don't see the player introductions happening just because, you know, we heard from uh, I think it was Dustin Nielsen on Twitter that said that made that excuse. So I'm assuming that's the excuse to the whole company. Right. So, yeah. Um, and I don't see them stopping the in-game interviews because they haven't stopped yet, even though they've been pounded with with bad reception from from the from the fans they just keep doing it. it's like they're trolling at this point and uh, i don't i don't see really them fixing the panel either so maybe one or two but uh we'd be pretty lucky if we got those two all right let's move on to the tiger cat news of the week which is really only one thing but it is a big thing after months of speculation of where he went up 
Dane Evans found his new home last week after the Hamilton Tiger Cats finally parted ways with their former starting quarterback, dealing him to the BC Lions in exchange for a 2024. Some people got confused. They thought it was this for this upcoming draft. It's not. It's for next year's draft, a fourth-round pick in the 2024 CFL draft. This pick comes with what is being called a conditional escalator, which I think we can only assume is tied to either Evans' playing time or him signing an extension with the Lions. We've seen similar deal escalators in the past. Uh, one example I remember is Zach Caleros when he was traded from Toronto to Winnipeg in 2021. He was dealt for a third-round pick. That became a first-round pick if he re-signed with the Bombers. That trade obviously worked out very well for Winnipeg. Won two great cups, been to three. Obviously, that turned into a first-round pick. Off the top of your head, any idea who the Argos took with the first-round pick that they traded for Claris? No clue. No yep. clue. Me neither. Didn't even bother to look it up. Uh, we'll, we'll get it. When it comes to draft season, I might make some hot takes on how I feel the draft is a little overblown. But anyway, Mike, the story has finally come to an end. Evans is a lion. Tie Cat fans can now move on. What did you make of this whole situation? Is it a, was this a good deal for the Tie Cats? Is this a good landing spot for Dane? What are kind of your thoughts on just the whole trade once you saw it was made official last week? Well, I think it's for Dane. I think it's a, a perfect landing spot for him. I heard uh, many people say in the media that you know this was his choice. You know he wanted to be in BC. That's what he said. Um, yeah, for several reasons. So I think it's a, a perfect landing spot for Dane. I think he'll. He'll get a chance to be the starter there because Vernon Adams will probably falter at some point. Uh, Dane's going to get in there. I think they're a pretty good one-two combo. Um, and if Dane can get his confidence back, then I think he can be like one of the best in in the league. I really do. He's shown us that before in the 2019 season. He had a hell of a year. And for the tie Cats, you know, you, you don't expect them to get much. You never really do get much in these trades. So a fourth rounder seems about right. And I'm also really happy that they didn't trade him to the Argonauts because <laughs> I don't know. I just I just didn't want to see Dane in a Toronto uniform and and have to play him whether he's starting or not. Have to play him three or four times a year just wouldn't feel right. So to get him, you know, on the West Coast, far away from the Eastern Division, is a good thing. Yeah, this feels like the ideal spot for him. He he's said himself and it's been proven with his play. He's better in that sort of one, two combo situation. His some, like I know when he, in 2019, he was on his own and he, but there were no expectations on him that year. Different from last year where he had led the team to two gray cups. He had had some playoff success. Everything was kind of riding on him to be the guy. And I think he, he faltered, especially early on because of it. But the thing with the lions is, and, and I know that they said he's coming in as the number two, He's beaten Vernon Adams out for a job before. 2018 Ticats training camp. It was Jeremiah Mazzoli, Johnny Manziel, Dane Evans, and Vernon Adams Jr. were the four quarterbacks in camp. Mazzoli was the entrenched starter. He wasn't going anywhere. Evans was, he was with the team late in 20, you know, when they expand the practice roster and bring guys up. They brought Evans up for that, but then they brought him back for, for the full training camp in 2018. He was so good. He beat out Vernon Adams that, June Jones went out and said, we're trading Vernon Adams because we don't need, like it was either they were going to move Adams to receiver because that's how much they liked Evans. And then six, seven weeks into the season, they trade Johnny Manziel because Evans was better than him too. So we've seen this guy go into camp competitions and whether it's a camp competition or not beat out the guy that he's behind. I do think that they'll give Vernon the chance to be the starter, but it would not shock me if Dane takes that job at some point next season. That's not a, not necessarily a knock at Adams, but we've seen these two guys go head to head in a quarterback competition and we've seen Evans win it. So 
as for the deal with the with like you said, what else could they really have expected to get? It felt like people were, I've, I've seen, you know, people online be, oh, they should have got a veteran defensive back or they should have got a higher rep, but he's coming off the worst year of his career. There's no starting jobs available. Like he just, this, this, they got something. And I think that that's the important part here is that they got something for a depreciating asset who maybe he goes on to have a wonderful career somewhere else, or maybe in three years he's out of the league. We don't know. But I think to get anything for him at this point when everyone and all the other eight teams knew that he wasn't going to be here is is a win for for the Cats. But I do want to talk about something. Kind of be remiss if we didn't talk about this elephant in the room here, and that has been the big debate amongst Ticat fans for the past couple of weeks with the way that sort of they some of them believe the organization treated Evans on his way out. There's a group of fans that believe the Ticats did Evans wrong by not allowing him out of his contract or not finding a trade partner prior to free agency. While there are others, I put myself in this camp, who believe the team did right by themselves. They held on to an asset in hopes to find the right trade for them. Evans himself said he always wanted to go to BC. Who knows what would have happened if he would have been a free agent. Maybe he wouldn't have had the opportunity to go to BC. I spoke with Evans briefly last week during his media availability. Um, He definitely seemed as if the sense I got at least and just how he answered some questions was that he wasn't happy with how this whole thing played out, that he, there is a, a tinge of animosity he holds towards the team. He gave a lot of non answers when asked about his time, how, how the time in Hamilton ended he gave that headline worthy quote of i don't really care what those guys do now in regards to the tie cats like there definitely feels as if there's at least a little bit of hurt feelings from himself towards the team so we you and i've never really discussed this what side do you fall on here mike do you think the teams did evans the team did evans dirty or were they just smart and holding on to an asset so they could recruit some value via the trade that they did eventually make i think that dane learned a life lesson in mm-hmm. this that uh his agent certainly did put that bonus money in february and january not may yeah yeah exactly it's it's you never know what's going to happen in the future you know right now uh, everything might be you know sunshine and rainbows but down the road you know you could be a liability for the team and you could be shipped out very quickly business and sports only thing that matters in business is making money the only thing that matters in sports is winning. And this this regime didn't think we could win a championship with Dane Evans. It's pretty clear that they they gave up on him pretty quick after the season ended last year. Maybe they gave up on him during the season last year. That's a that's a possibility as well, but it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. In the end, the only thing that matters is production. And they, he didn't he wasn't giving that anymore, so he will be cast aside so next time when you sign a contract make sure there's an off-season bonus because you could play terribly you could lose the faith of your franchise and you could be thrown aside quickly so i think dane i'm on the side of the team because i think that you have to if you have an asset and you have to get something back for it now it wasn't very much but it's better better than nothing so yeah i think a lot of it was overblown. I mean, he was held on to for a couple more weeks after free agency. It's not the end of the world. Everyone was freaking out. Just everyone just calm down. Okay. It's, uh, I think the whole thing was a little bit overblown and I get it. You want to be released. I get the frustration from him and his family, but this is business, man. This is sports. You got to know that. 
Here's the thing, and this is not a knock on Dane Evans at all. I want to make that perfectly clear. But there were teams that needed a starting quarterback, and they didn't come and get him. And, for instance, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, even with Evans' contract that he had before he restructured to go to BC, was making less than Trevor Harris is going to make this year with the Riders. The Riders clearly believe that Trevor Harris was better value for them, a better player than Evans, and that's who they went out and got. The Montreal Alouettes had an opening at quarterback. They went and signed Cody Fajardo. I, I would put those two guys, Fajardo and Evans, kind of in the same bucket. They're both talented, but they've had their issues. But clearly the the Owls, no, I don't know. I haven't seen Fajardo's contract numbers. I don't think they've been made public yet. But I can't imagine he was getting much less. And, and here's the thing, too, with, with these guys. We saw it with Zach. Zach Caleros got traded from Hamilton after the worst professional year. He went winless. The team stunk. They sat him on the bench, and then they ran with Jeremiah Mazzoli and nearly made the playoffs. After that season, the Ticats were still able to recoup a second-round pick from the Riders in exchange for Claros, who then restructured his contract slightly, and then obviously he bounced around a bit, and look, look at where he is now. But if a team would have wanted Evans to be their starter, and that was the whole thing, oh, the Ticats are holding on him, they're, they're stopping him from being a starter somewhere else, someone would have traded for him. If, if they thought that highly of him, he would have been traded for once they announced they signed Mitchell teams around the league would have been calling. You know what I mean? Yeah. That didn't happen. The offseason bonus thing. We see every year that fans get angry when, Oh, players get cut before their bonuses do players get cut before their bonuses do. This is why those bonuses are put in place in January and in February before free agency. It's not that teams are getting out of paying them. They were never going to pay them if they cut the guy. But what it does do is it makes teams it forces teams to make a decision. If Evans' contract had a bonus due on February 1st, guess what? On January 31st, he's a free agent, or he had been traded. But either way, he would have been free before free agency to find work. But the way that the team, I don't know why his his agent didn't put it in the contract, that he, I believe, I, I can't remember for sure, but I believe the only bonus Evans was due was a uh, like a report and pass, like he reports to training camp, passes the physical, and then got... A uh, hundred and something thousand as a bonus in May in training camp. So that gave the Ticats a like wide road here to go down. You know what I mean? Like they had a ton of time to to make this decision. And like you said, kind of a, a lesson in that's why you get those those uh, bonuses due there. But to me, the, the whole thing centers around this argument centers around. And as I said, I'm I'm more on the teams. I understand the, the human nature of this, like. Yeah, man, that kind of sucked. You don't have plan. You're you're moving on from this guy. You don't have plans for him, man. Just let him go and, and let him go find work elsewhere. But that's not how this business works. This isn't a regular job. You know what I mean? This is mm-hmm. this is sports, and we we tr- we do treat it and act a bit differently with this than we do with any other type of entertainment or any other type of job. Period. Really, he had some value. Clearly, it wasn't a lot, but it was some. And the Ticats tried to maximize that. There were. Other teams interested in him as well. He he didn't go into this when he talked to us, but he did mention the Argos. We're going to talk about the Argos quarterback situation. They were a team that was that kicked the tires on him. Ultimately, obviously, didn't make the trade for him. I mean, it. We can now move on because it's like he's in BC. He's not here anymore. I wish him the best of luck there. He is genuinely a nice person. Like the the mm-hmm. few small interactions I had with him, even when he was answering my questions, and it's like he he answered a question from someone else about how his time ended. And then it was my turn to ask. And I said, like, look, I know you don't want to talk about this, but I, you know, from the Hamilton perspective, I kind of have to ask. And he was very gracious with it. And like, 
you can, uh, there's a piece on three down I wrote about with the quotes in there. You can read it. it he was, and, and the times that I, like he went at training camp and at practices, he would thank fans for showing up. Like he does seem like a genuinely nice human being, but business is business. And the team had to make a business decision. And the one business decision they made was he's not the guy to lead this team to the promised land. And the other one was, we're going to hold on him until we can find a trade partner to give us something back for him. And that's what they did. And it, it might suck on the, on the human level, but if, if we're not even being cynical, but just being realistic, it, it all kind of makes sense. Right. Yeah. And it all kind of worked out in the end. Right. I mean, the Tiger Cats got something and, and Dane's in a new spot that he's And apparently he's happy the spot about. that he wanted to be in. So yeah, no yeah. one can really be that mad now. No. And I, 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 there was a quote from your article. It's like, I don't care what those guys do anymore. And yeah, people were freaking out. It's like, of course he doesn't care. He's not on the team anymore. Like, would you expect him to care? Like, I just don't understand the outrage from that quote. No, it's... it was it, when he said it, it raised my eyebrows because it came. It, it was such a um, it was another character quote from him. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. oh, wow. he OK, he's and it's it's those little things where it's like, OK, that kind of came out of nowhere. You get the sense that there's a little bit of, of like I said, animosity towards the team. But oh, I, yeah. I, yeah, like there's but no doubt. I, I, I agree with you. Like it's a great headline and that's why we use it on my piece. Cause it's a phenomenal, it's like, Oh, what did he have mm-hmm. to say? Yeah. But that's also when like this, this comes with media literacy. You can tell the people who read the full article versus the people mm-hmm. that just read the headline, because if you yep. read the full article, you get a much more greater sense of what he meant by all the things he said. You get the context of where the quote came from versus just seeing a headline and going, Oh, blah, blah. no, that's all of a match. And then, and then make your yeah. opinion known. Otherwise you just look like a fool. Agreed. All right. Um, before we get to our game this week, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about, and that was the other big quarterback news of the past week, which was McLeod Bethel Thompson leaving the Toronto Argonauts and the CFL as a whole and signing with the New Orleans Breakers of the USFL. McBeth gave a number of reasons for his decision with wanting to be closer to his family and having a better chance to get back to the NFL as the main factors in his choosing to return stateside to sign with New Orleans in, in one of these spring leagues. We discussed last week, Mike, if we were worried about a talent drain to the American Spring Leagues. I don't want to go too in-depth, but I, I do have to tag back up on that because sometimes we discuss things and a week later we have to change our minds. Does Bethel Thompson's defection change your opinion from a week ago? Are you now more worried that more well-established CFL players might decide to make either the XFL or the USFL their football home? I got I got two words for you. Whoopee woo. Um, I, I, I just, uh, it's just not a big deal to me because of the circumstances around Mm -hmm. McLeod Bethel Thompson. Now it looks bad on the surface, like, oh, the great cup champion quarterback is leaving to the USFL. And, you know, I saw, you know, people like Damian Cox, like to poke their head in and talk about the CFL whenever they think there's a, a crisis. Yeah. Like he's a, yeah, exactly. So, uh, this was a family decision. Um, anyone that follows the CFL and, and follow has followed this situation knows that um, his wife has a good job down in the States. He wanted to be close to that. I think they just had a, a child recently, so he wanted to be closer to them. So it's not, you know, a CFL versus the USFL thing. If, if it wasn't a family decision, I'm pretty sure he'd still be with the Argonauts. He would have got paid a lot more to be with the Argonauts. So if anyone's, you know, panicking, because McLeod Bethel Thompson left the CFL for uh, an American Spring League, you need to pump the brakes on that. 
is this even a big deal from an on-field perspective? Like, I, I agree with everything you said about him going to the USFL. Like, I don't, I my opinion hasn't changed at all from a week ago, so I'm not going to bother even discussing it again. You said everything as well as I could have said it anyway. But from an on-field perspective, last year was, he's 34 years old, and we're going to get into his age in a bit when we talk about his NFL potential. Last year was the first year that the Argos really went with him as their starting quarterback. Like, if you remember, he came to the league with Winnipeg, then went to Toronto, sat behind Ricky Ray for two years, which makes total sense. But the second year they were together in 2018, the Argos brought in James Franklin. And he was supposed to be the anointed future of the franchise behind Ray. And he was given the starting job to start 2019. He stunk. And then they went with McLeod Bethel Thompson. But the Argos in 2019 were awful. Then for the 2020 season, that ended up getting canceled. James Franklin's gone. McLeod Bethel Thompson's really the only quarterback there now. They go in, they, the team does not have any, any faith in him. They go out and they get Matt Nichols. And Matt Nichols was going to be the starting quarterback for the Argos in 2020. They signed him to a three-year contract. So once again, no real faith from the organization that this, what, two, three years ago, he would have been still, he would have been in his thirties and they still think, no, he's a backup at best. Then you, you go to 2021. What do they do then? They bring in Nick Arbuckle and Nick Arbuckle is given the starting job to start the season. And it's not until he starts to mess things up. They trade him and, McLeod takes a starting job. Then obviously last year he had a fairly good season, but it just, the Argos didn't seem to have any faith in him to really give him the keys to the franchise. You know what I mean? Like every year it seemed when, when without take away the Ricky Ray years, because obviously no one, there's probably no one in the CFL that the Argos would have brought in. that would have taken Ray's job at that point. They probably would have traded for Bo Levi Mitchell and they would have just sent Ray somewhere else because it's like, we're not going to have Ray sit on the bench. You know what I mean? But every year they brought in someone else to be the guy and it wasn't until last year where he now maybe the the inverse argument is well the year they made him the guy they win the Grey Cup so maybe they should have had him be the starter in 2018 or 2019 and 2021 from from jump and maybe they would have been better but it just tell it's like when a team and this kind of goes into what the Evans discussion when a team keeps telling you what they think of someone you kind of have to start to believe it so I know we put up a bunch of yards he led the league in passing last year and I get all that but where, where, like, you look at where he is and, like, the kind of, the, if he was still in the in the CFL, what is he, the fifth, sixth best quarterback in the, you know what I mean? Like, where, like, he's middle of the pack, right? And the Argos just kept trying to be like, we want anyone else to quarterback this team but him. This doesn't feel like a big loss for them. Now, we'll get into where it is a big loss because of what they now don't have, but losing him specifically doesn't seem like a big loss to me. What about you? No, not for the CFL as a whole. This guy was never like a top three quarterback in the league. Not a superstar. No, he's not a superstar. And 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 I'm with you. Like I get it. He led the league in passing. Uh, you know, he, he put up good statistical numbers, but that doesn't always tell the the story, right? So if you if you watch this guy from week to week, you know that he can be incredibly inconsistent. I just don't see it as a big loss. And and you know, on paper, yes, Grey Cup champion. Uh, leave CFL for the USF. They should. They said the same thing about Chris Trevler, Grey Cup champ. Mm-hmm. It's they imply that he was the starter. Yeah, yeah. You know when he, it's like no, he couldn't throw in the CFL either. Um, now McLeod Bethel Thompson's a bit of a, a different story there, but even in the Grey Cup game, I mean, fifteen to twenty-eight for fifty-three point six uh, completion percentage, 
you know, he, he wasn't having a very good game. And then Chad Kelly came in and kind of lit a fire under that offense. Now he didn't have, you know, massive numbers either, but he had a big run and he, he moved the offense uh, when the offenses needed to be moved. So no, I, I just, I don't see it as a big loss for the league. I, I don't even think, you know, we'll forget about him next season. We won't miss him at all. What do you make of his idea that going to the USFL will be a potential springboard back to the NFL? That's that's ludicrous, right? Absolutely ludicrous. It's at his age. I mean, he's not Doug Flutie. He's not going to the NFL at the age of 35. It's just not happening. He doesn't have the talent, I don't think, to, you know, even if he was a little bit younger, I don't think he'd draw a lot of eyeballs. Like maybe he could be a third stringer in the league or something like that. But at his advanced age, I just don't see him getting any looks in the NFL. He's already been there, right? He's already run through the circuit. He's oh been on God. many teams, and it's just it's over. He's been on. He, I think he was with San Francisco like three times over the span of like five years. Like he's thirty four, and I don't think he's that good. Like I just, I just don't like. He's not. He's he proved when he was younger that he was an NFL caliber. He proved during his time in the CFL that he was serviceable, but far from a superstar player. When you're thinking of quarterbacks that leave the CFL to go to the NFL with the exception of a guy like a Chris Drebler, who, because of how the NFL is now, like you think of him as like a team wants their version of Taysom Hill, which is a quote unquote quarterback for new Orleans saints, but he's really kind of a Jack of all trades. He plays tight end sometimes in the backfield. Sometimes he, most of the time he just runs the ball, but he's not a very good quarterback. It's the same with Strebler. So, you know, I think he's with the jets, they tried to play have him play quarterback against Jacksonville late in the season, and it was they they benched um was it Zach Wilson they benched or was it Joe I can't remember if it was Joe Flacco or Zach I think it was Zach Wilson and then they went with Flacco. Yeah. Um, Strickler was awful. <laughs> like he's just he's he's not that good, but he's he has value because he can be you want him on punt returns, you want him on pump block, you want to switch things up at quarterback. Teams that don't have that like established QB will do some of those things. That's not McLeod Bethel Thompson's game. He's a drop back passer who's kind of okay. He's just and the age thing. I know people are like, well, you know, I saw some tweet that's like, I, let me, you know, let me see if I can find it because it was just so ludicrous that uh, let me see if I can. I know it's here somewhere. Ah, oh, yeah, here it is. People say, and this is in quotes, the NFL is a meritocracy. There's only one criterion players need to meet to play there to be the best. The best players play in the NFL, period, and their assessment of talent is never, ever wrong. And then people say the NFL won't touch him, meaning with Claude Bethel Thompson, at his age. First off, whoever said that the NFL is infallible when it comes to player evaluation? We see all the time guys fall through the cracks. You know what I mean? Like, perfect example. Everyone knows who Brock Purdy is. He was the last pick in the draft, and he took a team to the – he came in as a rookie, won his first seven starts, helped – was a, a part, not just – not just a, a guy on the, on the, on along for the ride, but played his part in getting that team to the NFC championship game. If you're doing a redraft, he's going in the first five picks, you know, because of what he accomplished this season. So I guess don't understand that. And the NFL is an age league. You want younger and cheaper if you don't have a superstar. And McClub Bethel Thompson is not the guy that you're going to see a team. Cause what, what's he going to do? Come in and be a backup for a couple of years. And he's 34. He'll be 35 before the season starts. Yep. They're not bringing in 35-year-old quarterbacks to be third-string QBs in this league unless they're absolutely desperate. And when that comes to the start of a season, no team's really that desperate because they most of their guys are healthy and everyone's ready to go. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and, and, you know, even a guy like Nathan Rourke who's gone down there, and we all think that he has the talent to play in the NFL, maybe they don't see him that way. You know what I mean? Maybe they're like, God, this Canadian kid, like, I don't want to start him. I don't want to have anything to do with him. I know he's signed to an NFL contract, but, like, when it comes down to it, there's politics in the NFL, man. Yep. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go with an undrafted player from Canada. Like, you know, there's just politics that come into place. And, and obviously, you know, the best players in the NFL, but sometimes they're an exception. There are exceptions to the rule. Of course, of course. All right. Last thing on McLeod leaving uh, Toronto. With, with him gone, the Argos now have just two quarterbacks on their roster in Chad Kelly and Ben Holmes. Between the two of them, Mike, they have combined for 45 regular season pass attempts, and they've all come from Kelly. I know people are high on Chad Kelly, but having that little quarterback experience means the Argos' quest for a repeat championship will west will ugh, will rest on the most inexperienced QB group in the league right now for sure, and one of the most inexperienced QB groups I think we've ever seen in the CFL. There aren't a lot of of experienced quarterbacks still available. I looked at the free agent list. I saw Michael O'Connor and Antonio Pipkin. Ironically enough, both former Argos are really the only two guys that have had any sort of experience in the league that are available. And like we said earlier, the Argos kicked the tires on acquiring Dane Evans to sh- kind of shore up that QB room because I think they know that they need some sort of veteran presence at, to, you know, inoculate them from a potential disaster if this goes sideways. We know how difficult it is to adapt to the CFL game, especially as a quarterback. And the Argos are now potentially entering this upcoming season with this exp- like this little experience to me seems like a recipe for a disaster. So. As we sit here right now, the Argos look like they're kind of a prime candidate for one of for like a comeback to earth season in 2023. You know what I mean? Like, what do you think? Do you think the Argos can can go into the season with Kelly as their QB one and Holmes as their QB two? Or do you think they need to find somebody that's played some meaningful snaps in this league? I think it would be a wise decision to try and find someone that has had some snaps. But like you said, there's there's nothing out there, really. I mean, and who you're going to get a trade like someone else is going to give up their insurance policy. Like, I'm not sure. I think that they're, they're kind of stuck with what they have right now. And uh, you're right. It's, you know, I think that the Argonauts are a very good team. I think they brought back a lot of good pieces and added some good pieces, but at the most important position, there's some question marks, right? Chad Kelly has all the talent in the world and there's, you know, a lot of high hopes for him, but he hasn't shown enough to be sure that he can be a legit starting quarterback in this league. So yeah, they're, they're taking a big chance and I don't think there's any options out there to, uh, to bring in a guy that has experience. He, Chad Kelly could be the second coming of Doug Flutie, but if he gets hurt, like, like the Argos are one injury away from Ben Holmes, who is a complete unknown. And I know guys have come out of nowhere and been superstar QBs in this league before, but When's the last time you really recall the Argos? Like, it's been a decade since Zach Caleros and Trevor Harris. Like, when Scott Milanovic was there, the Argos were churning out quarterbacks that could start across this league. It's been a while since they haven't had to import somebody that someone else brought into the CFL. And I'm not taking a shot at them for that. Tie are the exact same. Dane Evans was the first quarterback they had really developed. I guess you could count Jeremiah Mazzoli in that, too. He only spent one year in Edmonton. But... Before those guys, it was it was a lot of importing guys, especially from out west. Like you brought in Danny McManus, you bring in Casey Printers, you brought in Jason Moss, Kevin Glenn, Henry Burris. Like the list goes on and on of guys that they brought in, Matt Dunnigan at one point, guys that they brought in because they weren't able to develop their own passers. It's just I'm I like 
I, I, I'm just trying to think of when the last time I saw a QB room so lacking in CFL experience. I know a lot of people were like, well, BC did it last year with Nathan Rourke. All right, sure. But they had Michael O'Connor and Antonio Pipkin and then later Vernon Adams in that quarterback room. Like they had to go out and trade a first round pick when Rourke got hurt to keep that ship afloat for Vernon Adams. Like you don't want to be the Argos and have to trade picks or, or players midway through the season because you're banking on someone to perform and either they get hurt or they don't play well. Like this just seems like you're going into a year. You've, you've built some momentum. They had a, They had a great house for them at the East final. They win the championship in kind of thrilling fashion at the end. You're, you're building momentum here. And like, this could all go sideways pretty quickly if either Kelly's not the guy or, or he gets hurt. And, and both of those are into, like Kelly, not be like, you mentioned he has all the talents in the world. How many times have we seen guys come up to this league? that's like, Oh man, Johnny Manziel, perfect example. Lit the world on fire comes up here. Can't play. Can't play. And it's and, very similar. Actually, you know, played in the SEC, yep. you know, did really well there. Kind of a knucklehead. Um, kind of a knucklehead. Yeah, exactly. A little squirrely off the field. So yeah, there is some similarities there, and you know, hopefully for the for the Argos, you know, not for us, but for the Argos, he has uh, his head on a little bit better than Johnny Menzel did when he came to the Tiger Cats. And it and it does seem like he does, like it does seem. But there's also this talk of he wants to use this season as a springboard back to the NFL. And when you have mm-hmm. that mindset, I worry about how. Yeah, you got to focus on where you're at, right? Yeah. Think about where so, your feet are, not where your feet want to go. Like you. Yeah. It's it, and even it just, him, like he's he's getting older. I mean, twenty nine is not young for the NFL, right? I mean, I don't necessarily see him, no matter how well he does next season, um, getting another shot in the NFL to be like maybe as a backup, but not to be a legit starter. I think that um, you know, with McLeod Bethel Thompson, that ship has sailed, and I think with Chad Kelly as well, you know, his past has not helped him at all. If that ship hasn't sailed, the anchors are coming up, and the ship's about to leave port. You know what I mean, like. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It, it, the Argos will be an interesting watch this year because that's a pretty decent roster. I mean, they won the Grey Cup last year, so obviously it's a decent roster. But like you said, they brought back some key pieces. They, they there is a veteran presence there, but they are severely lacking in CFL experience, the quarterback position, and we've seen that sink other really great teams in the past. So they'll be an interesting watch this year, and hopefully for our sake, they uh, they fall flat on their face and finish four and 14 and don't make the playoffs. All right. That's enough Argo talk though. Let's play a game of three downs, Mike. As a reminder, this is the game where we will come up with a a question. We will have the answer to it and there will be three potential answers. We'll pick one, kind of give a short explanation why. So let's get started with the first one, friend of the show and one of my colleagues at three down nation, Ryan Ballantyne wrote an article stating why he thinks it is time for the CFL to finally make player salaries public. <clears throat> he gave a number of compelling reasons, including killing the perception that CFL players barely make ends meet and knowing the salaries, adding to kind of the fans ability to engage with the product. So, Mike, CFL CFL salaries, A, should be made public. B, should not be made public. C, is not something I care about at all. I think they should be made public. Um, I used to be on the other side of this for a long time, um, but. You know, I just think it would be it would be more engaging for the fan base. And, you know, I know it's up to the players in the end if they want their uh, I'm sure it's in the uh, when they bargain with the CFLPA yep. and the CFL, they put it in there. Um, but I think it's it's just time. And, and we basically know the salaries of like at least the big name players, because because three down usually has, you know, a breakdown of how much each player is going to make each year for a lot of those guys. So we basically know it already. 
so I think it's it's time to make it official and you know people are going to laugh at the salaries no matter what because people are so delusional because they only watch the NBA and the NFL they're used to you know 50 million dollars a season you know and anything less than that is just a big joke to everyone so they're not going to that they're going to make fun of it no matter what so I just think that we should we did we shouldn't worry about that and we should just get them out into the public well, Ryan made a good point and like People do think that these guys make peanuts and most of them make like some guys make in the top 1% of salaries of what people make in Canada in a given yeah, year. Yeah, but those are normal scum people. Like they're, they're, <laughs> they're you know what I mean? Like they're like you and I. Like no one gives a shit about you and I. They want to talk about that yeah. 50 million dollar we're up Russell Westbrook and you know the Kyrie Irvings of the world. You know what I mean? Like if you make less than a million dollars, you're basically a piece of trash. Which is which? Which I just find so weird. I just find that weird. I'm with you though. I used to be staunchly in the corner of, nope, none of our business. Don't need to know it. And I've completely switched my mode of thinking on this because I do think that there's more engagement that can be had by fans of the league if we knew this stuff because then we could break down. All right, what does a team have to spend in free agency? Oh, they need to make a trade. What can they take back in salary versus what they give out? Like. Are they going to be compliant with the cap at the end of the year? It like Ryan made a great point. Like the Ticats went out and signed a bunch of named players. Are they are players taking less to come to Hamilton? Or is the team going, you know what? We need to break this near quarter century drought. The Grey Cup's going to be in our hometown. Screw it. We're going to spend as much money as we possibly can to put the best team together to win a championship. And if we have to pay a penalty at the end of the year, so be it. And I also think that just the idea that the players don't make much money is just wrong. It's, it's, it's not true. Like, I know you, I know you jokingly said like, no one cares what regular Joe's make, but the incoming like, rookies coming into the league make $70,000. I would kill to make $70,000. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, me you too. would kill to make $70,000. Yeah. Absolutely. And I understand that that's when you think of professional sports, it's not a lot of money, but that didn't, that hasn't stopped the XFL and the USFL from telling people how much they make. And I know that it's not the same thing. And I know, well, don't compare the two and blah, blah, blah. We're better than them and all that other sort of stuff. But I mean, they've been very open with the salaries that players make in in games and, and throughout the year. I don't understand. Like, it just feels as if the the because I used to be one of those guys that's like, no one deserves to know what anyone else makes. And then I started to change my views on that when it came to like regular people. Like, we should be t- discussing salaries because what if you and I do the same job and you're and we we work at the same place, we do the same job, and I get a raise, and the boss says, well, you know, I don't like people talking about money, so like just keep it to yourself. But I know you and I like you and it's like I'm making three dollars an hour more than he is. We do the same amount of work. He should be making that, too. If you discuss salaries in public, it can raise the boat for everyone. Now, I know in the CFL, it's not the same thing because agents do know what players make. So it's not a secret to them. But I just think the the ability for fans to more engage with the league in the offseason. Oh, man, a guy's got like we, we and like you said, these things are trickling out anyway, more and more. So I. It just it feels like it's just time to get this done. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's about time too. Just like it's about time to put a couple dots at the bottom of the screen. But you know, we shall see what happens. We shall indeed. All right. At the beginning of February, Mike LeBron James broke the NBA's all-time scoring record, surpassing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's 38,387 points during a February 7th game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Kareem's record for most points in a career in the NBA was once thought to be unbreakable. He had the record for nearly four decades. There are, if I'm not mistaken, I think LeBron is the either the seventh or eighth player to ever 
hold this record. I think it was, oh, I wish I used to know who I used to know who they all were off the top of my head, but LeBron beat Kareem's record who beat Wilt's record, who I think beat Bob Pettit's record, who beat George Mikan's record, who beat, uh, there's some guys I'm forgetting. Anyway, I think there's seven or eight people that have ever held this record and Kareem held it for nearly 40 years. Anyway, this got me thinking about some of the all-time CFL records and ones that seem unbreakable that maybe one day we'll see broken. So I figured I'd go with kind of the big three on offense. So which seemingly unbreakable record, Mike, is likely to be broken? Is it A, Anthony Calvillo's all-time passing yards mark of 79,816, G. Roy Simon's all-time receiving yards mark of 16,352, or C, Mike Pringle's all-time rushing yards record, of 16,425. Oh, wow. Pringle has more yards rushing than uh, G. Roy has receiving. That's that's yep. pretty damn impressive, man. Yep. Mike Pringle was the, was the man. Yes, he um, was. Passing record, I just, I mean, that's so many yards. You'd have to play for so many seasons. And, you know, the benchmark for CFL quarterbacks nowadays seems to be 4,000 a season. So I just don't see that being broken. I don't see any of them being broken, to be honest with you. But if I had to choose one, I'm going to go with the receiving yards. Just because, I, you know, to be a quarterback at that level for so long, I just, it just seems unattainable to me. And then the rushing yards, I just don't think that teams rush enough in the CFL to get there. So I'm going to go with the receiving yards. I'm picking the receiving yards, too. We've seen that record broken twice. In our life, like well, maybe yep. more in our lifetime, but oh, twice, we had Darren, Darren, oh, Darren Flutie never had it, but he was close. But Alan yeah. Pitts and Milt Steagle, yep, yeah, we saw Milt Steagle break it, and we saw Giroy break it too. Like, and yeah, Alan yep. Pitts years ago broke it, but yep. I mean, like, Steagle broke it 15 years ago, Giroy broke it maybe a decade ago. Like, it's one of those things where it's not, we've seen it happen before, so it's not impossible. The passing yards, Mark, I don't know if it's untouchable, but like you said, kind of you have to. You're going to have to have a guy. I'm trying to find out who the current, who has the most yards of current players. It might be Bo. That's what I'm thinking. Who has the most passing yards of players currently still playing in the CFL. I'm just going to look that up quickly. Let's hear some. I have that record book, and it usually tells me where everything is. Um, The rushing yards, I don't think will ever be broken. And the reason I say that is simply because, like you said, teams don't rush the ball anymore. So... If teams are going to rush the ball, then oh, I can't find this. Damn it. I, w- I should have brought it up before we recorded. Then it wouldn't look like such a schmuck looking for. That's okay. We're not, uh, we're not live, pal. Don't yeah, that's true. It. That's true. We're, not, <laughs> we're live, pal. No. Um, all right. Anyway, it's not important. It's, I, it's just Calvillo's at nearly 80,000 yards. I think the next closest guy is Bo at like 35. And like, mm. we're already talking about him being, well, how many more years does he have left? It, it's, it seems unattainable. So as an aside, speaking of unattainable, are there any CFL records that you think, whether they're single game, single season, or all time, that you think are, are completely unbreakable? I think Matt Duggan, uh, Matt Dunnigan, 713 yards passing. Is, Without question. Is unbreakable. Um, I just, I mean, that is an unbelievable stat. Even for the 1990s in the CFL, where they were throwing it all over the field, 713 yards is just crazy to me. So... I, I can't see anyone getting even close to that. No, I think that's unbreakable. I think Flutie's single season mark, 6,619. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll touch that. I got one that uh, kind of a negative. 
I don't think anyone's going to make break Danny McManus's record for career interceptions. He's got 281. <laughs> so he played 17 seasons, and that's that's including times he was on the bench. If so, if you just take his interceptions and the seasons he played, he averaged 16 interceptions per year over his career, which, as I said, includes his time as a backup. No player would throw would be would still be in the league in 17 years if they threw 16 picks a season. So I no. I truly don't think that one's that one's ever going to be broken. What and about this one, Josh? What okay, about wait, this one? What do you got? Most receiving yards in one game. Hal Patterson, 338. Yeah, that's have we ever even seen a guy get to get to 300 in our life? Like, is there ever I think been someone? I, I, it might have been. Now I could be wrong on this. But Curtis Mayfield, or one of these guys, I think was part of that 713. Either Alfred okay. Jackson in 94 had 308, or Curtis Mayfield in 94 had 319. So Okay, one of those guys probably. But we're talking yeah. a long time ago. Um, what do you think about Damon Allen's r- rush yards for a quarterback? 11,920. Yeah, that's never going to be touched. No way. I, no way. I, I looked up the um, who had the most rushing yards by a quarterback over the last 10 years. And it was Chris Trevler in 2018. He had 726 rushing yards. A quarterback would have to average that number over more than average. Not not like if he averaged 726 yards rushing per year over 16 and a half years, they would then pass Damon Allen's record. It's not going to happen. Wow. Like you look at some of these records and it's just guys that played so like when you look at the all time, like. Gizmo's punt return touch, 26 punt return TDs. The next closest is Earl Winfield with 11. That's never falling. You know what I mean? Mike Pringle's single season rushing record, over 2,000 yards. The way that they run the ball now, I mean, I think John Cornish came the closest recently at like 1,800 and something, still finished almost 200 yards short. Uh, The one that blew my mind, consecutive games played, is 352 by Bob Cameron. Now, it's a kicking, it's a kicker, so you take it with a grain of salt, but for perspective, that's playing every game for over 19 seasons. Guys don't play 19 seasons. Like even, even kickers and punters don't play that long in the CFL no. anymore. Like there are a number, because some of these records were set by guys in the, like that started in the eighties and seventies and played into like the nineties, like Louis Pisaglia has the all time games played record, but he played for like 25 years. You just don't see guys play that long anymore. You, you just look at some of these numbers, you, like you mentioned, some of the single season ones, single game ones. You just like that's seven thirteen to me. That's that's never going to get touched. But there's there's a number of I, like I think lot. I think the single season sack record is safe. James Parker twenty six and a half. Joe mm-hmm. Monfort came closest in nineteen ninety eight, I believe. He had twenty six, so he came super close. But we haven't had a twenty plus sack season in the CFL since Cam Wake in two thousand eight. So guys don't even get 20 sacks a season anymore. Not to say that that's not, that's a ton of sacks. That's more than a sack a game, but 20, could you imagine if someone got 27 sacks in a, in a season? No, Astounding. We're, ha- we're happy when guys, get, we're, we're like, Oh, if guys get to 10, that's a good yep. season for a pass rusher. And I looked at some of the, st- like some years guys, guys led the sack race with 12 or 13 last year. I think Lorenzo Malton had 17. So it's like, those, and those are great sack numbers. Don't get me wrong, but 26 and a half, never going to fall, never going to fall. And it's funny, you look at some of these records, and I is the CFL the only league that has gone backwards in offensive production? It seems like it, doesn't it? It does. Because you look at, like, NBA records or NFL records or NHL. Oh, maybe NHL, actually. 
They were yeah, like, yeah, you're right. They yeah, were, the NHL. They scored so the two, a lot of goals. So the two Canadian sports, quote unquote. Yeah, I've gone backwards. And here's another one: most rushing yards by a quarterback in one season. Tracy Ham had 1,086 in 1990. I don't think you're seeing any quarterback run for over a thousand yards in a season. I just, I don't think if there's one to do it, it would be Vernon because he does have that escapability. But I just, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I just don't think teams will let their quarterbacks take that type of punishment to, no. to rush for over a thousand yards in the season. It's just, it, it is weird when you look at the record book and you just think of like, like we could have, I, I, I cut my list down on the ones that I thought couldn't be touched because there were ones I was just like, I was going through all of them going, Oh, I don't think anyone's going to break that. Like, I don't think anyone's going to break Mookie Mitchell's record for catches in the season at 116 or 160. Like, I'm just like, with the way the game has evolved with your, you're rotating in receivers, you're rotating in running backs, you're rotating in defensive ends. Like we don't see like these, these, these single game and all time records just don't have the ability to be broken because like you think of Simone Lawrence coming back to Hamilton for a 10th season. Like he's been in, the, this will be his 11th in the CFL because he spent the one year with Edmonton, but like, that's like, that's unheard of. You know what I mean? Like him and him and Bo, I think have been in the league the longest. Uh, of of like non like non kicker like there might be a kicker or somebody that but like when you think of guys that, that have played a decade plus it's it's few and far between now and some of these guys would have to play nearly two decades to hit some of these records like it's it, it just it I don't know why the CFL has gone like you said like the offenses are less even the defensive records though like maybe maybe that's you know they get better offensive line play maybe that has to do with it or it's teams rotate in defensive ends defensive tackles so much yeah, that guys when they get 11 sacks it's like oh well that's a pretty good season because he didn't like how many how many snaps did James Parker play the year he set the record how many snaps did Joe Montford play like was he on the field every single snap on defense in an 18 game season and that's why he was able to get 26 sacks or is it one of those things where we I don't I don't know it's 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 crazy to think that the CFL has these records that are going to stand the test of time. We see so few records, like the ones we do see broken. It's like, all right, Simone had tackles in a game, but it's like special teams tackles for a career. And I know that like special teams is an important part. And I do like the fact that CFL promotes stuff like that, but no one cares really. Like no. when, when like, like even the Damon Allen one, like rush yards by a quarterback, like that's not re- like, it's a record, but that's not something anyone really cares. It's impressive. He's the third all time leading rusher in the CFL, which is insane. Right. It's inc- incredible. Like, it's Mike Absolutely Pringle, George great. Reed, Damon Allen. It's nuts. Yeah. But does it? Do you know that Tracy Ham had an offense named after him? The Did Ham Bone? Really? Did he yeah. really? Tracy Ham was such an important part of the Georgia Southern team that the offense was known as the Ham Bone. Huh. That's like, that's like Jim fact. Kelly and the K-Gun offense in Buffalo. Right. Yes, exactly. Huh. I did not know that. It's I wonder if why they never brought that to the CFL for was so successful yeah. down south in college. But uh, it's it's nice to to look at this stuff though because it does tell you how how rich the history of this league is mm-hmm. and how and and how we have had and like a lot of these like I look at these names Mike Pringle, Doug Flutie, Matt Dunnigan, Gizmo, we Joe, Joe Monfort, Damon Out. Like we saw these guys play. Like you and I, I know we're on, maybe on the older end of, of of fans. Like I'm in my 40s, you're approaching your 40s. Not to make you feel old, sorry, buddy. But like we saw these guys. Like Les Brown is the all-time leader in interception. He gets 87. The next closest is, I think it's Dante Marsh with 66. Another record that seems like it will never be broken. We got to see. Like I didn't see a ton of Les Brown because he retired in like the I think he retired sometime in the early to mid 90s. 
but we we've have got a chance to see all these guys play like I I watched Doug Flutie play live. I watched Matt Dunnigan play live. I saw many times. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Mike Pringle, Anthony Calvillo, like all the guys that hold like Calvillo, Simon and Pringle. We all saw them live and in person. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like I know we don't mythologize our all time greats like some, some of the other sports do, but we probably should. Like, yeah, could you imagine imagine being like I saw Tom Brady play. I saw LeBron James mm-hmm. play Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Anthony yep. Calvillo in the CFL is that status of player. Yep. And I saw him play two times a year for a decade. You know what I mean? Like we really have been lucky as fans to get to see the players that we've got to see play. Yeah, absolutely. And we were lucky to see um, the style of play that we mm-hmm. saw in the nineties and the early two thousands, the, the exciting brand of football that has become the norm in America. Like yeah. we were throwing the ball over the field yep. in the nineties. We were doing the five, five receiver set in the nineties, you know, Wally Buono, I think set him and John Hupnagel started that. So there's a lot of stuff that American football has, has taken from Canadian football. And, and yeah, we should appreciate the stars more and we should uh, appreciate the game a little bit more too. I think. Oh, I'm a hundred percent convinced that the changes the NFL made to offenses, some of their superstar quarterbacks 25 years ago would have been playing in Canada. Russell mm-hmm. Wilson would have been a 15-year veteran in the CFL if the NFL looked at quarterbacks. And he probably would have been running all over the field, racking yep. up yards. The same with like uh, yep. Ky- Kyrie in uh, oh, Arizona. Or, Kyler uh, Murray, I think. Kyler I think, Murray, yeah. I think Patrick Mahomes yep. would have been a, a CFL quarterback. Maybe not forever, but he would have mm-hmm. been up here for, I think he would have played up here a couple of years. Like you see these guys that play, Lamar Jackson, as one of, like, and people say like, oh, they won Heisman's or they, we saw Doug Flutie was a Heisman Trophy winner, couldn't cut in the NFL, came up here and dominated. And I say couldn't cut in the NFL, but the reasons that he wasn't there were mostly size related. And the way that he played the game wasn't suited to how the NFL played in the 80s. He comes up to Canada getting to play his game, and he's the superstar of all superstars. And so there's a right. lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that I watch play, and I go, man, if, if this was 25 years ago, we'd be seeing them live and in person playing the CFL field and probably wouldn't be giving them the props they do deserve because – those guys are amazing athletes and the guys that we've seen over the years are amazing athletes. And I think it's, I, I know CFL fans, especially older ones are are more apt to celebrate the past. I think we need to shed light on some of the past players that played in this league to show people how great this league can actually be. Because I think that when you, these names might not mean something to everybody, but when you think of how good they've been, man, oh man, were we ever lucky to see them play? Absolutely. I totally agree. We were, you know, we saw, I think, the golden age of offensive football mm-hmm. in the CFL during a time when the league was just comp- in shambles <laughs> off the yep. field. So it was an interesting time. Crazy to think. Crazy to think. All right. That was Podsky Weave for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.